0: Lord, we just thank you that we can be together this morning, that we can gather to sing your praise, Lord, uh, to come before you uh, with hearts of gratitude, Lord, for all of your faithfulness to us, Lord, and to spend time uh, together in your word. And Lord, we just ask your blessing upon uh, our time this morning as we jump into this great story of Joshua and the children of Israel, Lord, that you would open our hearts, Lord, that we would see who you are, that we would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation, Lord, that we would see Jesus, and God, that our hearts would be strengthened and encouraged, and Lord, I just pray uh, your blessing upon this time, in Jesus' name, amen. Sweet, so yeah, we're in Joshua chapter 22, as we've been seeing throughout Joshua, this book's divided into two parts, the first half of the book deals with the conquest of the land, the second half of the book deals with the division of the land, and all of the tribes' moving into their various inheritances that the Lord had given them. Um, the nation of Israel, as we know, was uh, made up of 12 tribes of the children of Israel. And the first um, well what, what happened is this is, well by, yeah, I guess by way of just kind of reminder to get our bearings is that before they ever entered into the land, they crossed the land of Jordan, two tribes, God and Reuben, came to Moses, and actually there's the tribe of Manasseh too, which was a very, very large tribe. So half of the tribe of Manasseh and the tribe of Reuben and Gad came to Moses, and they said to him, instead of entering into the land of Canaan, we'd like to settle right here on the eastern shore, which today is kind of like modern Jordan, the, the Golan Heights. They said, we'd like to have our inheritance here on this land, um, They were people who had much livestock. They saw the land east of the Jordan as like really bountiful and good for raising cattle and settling their families. And at the time, Moses is still leading the nation of Israel. Joshua hasn't taken the helm yet. Moses hasn't passed away. And so Moses, like he's like, what are you guys talking about? Uh, Are you trying to lead a rebellion like those spies who had led the children of Israel in rebellion and unbelief? 40 years ago and stopped us from entering into the promised land. And uh, they said, no, 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 we don't want to do that. What we want to do is this. We want to settle our families here and then we will send our armed men. We will send our soldiers ahead of Israel into the land of Canaan and we will help defeat the Canaanites and get uh, allow the rest of the tribes to settle in their inheritance in the Lord. And so with that promise... Moses allowed that they could settle on the eastern shore. He granted their request. So it's taken seven years. We've been going through this book. Like if we were to look at, you know, chronologically, it's taken seven years. They have been battling on behalf of their brothers and sisters on the western shore. And they have defeated all of... The inhabitants of Canaan. They've defeated the kings in Canaan. The inheritances have been allotted and divided up for the tribes. Levi has received. The tribe of Levi has been sprinkled like salt amongst uh, the nation, and they've got their inheritance. the The cities of refuge have been established and, a, and appointed. And Not one of their enemies had withstood them. Not one of the kings had withstood them. God had given all of their lands into their hands. Not one good word, as we saw last week, not one good word of the Lord had fallen to the ground or any of his promises failed them. All had come to pass. And I love that because the scripture tells us that that's the truth and the reality for those who are in Christ Jesus as well, that... that not one good word of the Lord is going to fail us or not one enemy that we deal with is going to be, fail to be defeated. God is going to look after his church and his people, and that's what happened for the children of Israel. So we come to Joshua chapter 22. Let's check it out. In verse 1, it says this. We'll read through a bit. This is a big chapter, so we'll, we'll, we'll read off some big chunks, okay? It says this in verse 1, at that time... Joshua summoned the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and he said to them, you have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and you have obeyed my voice in all that I commanded you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days down to this day, but have been careful to keep the charge of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers, as he promised them, therefore turn... And go to your tents in the land where your possession lies, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. Only be very careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses gave the servant of the Lord your God, Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cling to him and to serve him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. So Joshua blessed them. And sent them away, and they went to their tents. Verse 7. Now to the one half tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given a possession in Bashan. But to the other half, Joshua had given a possession with their, beside their brothers in the land west of the Jordan. And when Joshua sent them to their homes and blessed them, he said to them, Go back to your tents with much wealth and with very much livestock, with silver, gold, bronze, and iron, and with much clothing, divide the spoil of your enemies with your brothers. So the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned home, parting from the people of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the land of Gilead, their own land of which they had possessed themselves by the command of the Lord through Moses." So this is like exciting days here. This is like they have received everything that God has uh, promised them. It's entering into a season of rest. Isn't that awesome to enter into rest? It's entering into a season of peace for these tribes. And with the conquest of the land being, you know, Completed, besides the the little mop up operations that needed to happen, Joshua calls these two and a half tribes to him at Shiloh. He says, You've served well. (laughs) Isn't that awesome that the New Testament actually says this? That the, the goal and the hope would be this, that when we enter into glory, the Lord would say to us, What? Well done, good and faithful servant. Moses says to these two and a half tribes, You guys have served really well. I mean, you have had an excellent spirit before your brothers and in the people of Israel, and your service, I want to thank you uh, for the way that you followed the Lord, and now go with blessing and return to your families and your inheritance that you have on the other side of the Jordan. And so faithfully, they've fulfilled their duty. It's like, man, I I just think, what a simple thing that it's, uh, well, it's not simple, but to just be a faithful man or a faithful woman for the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God. That's what they accomplished. And it's exciting to me, as you read this, to go, it was important enough to the Lord that, this, that the Holy Spirit made the decision to just make sure that this was recorded in, scriptures, in the scripture. These people served well. Well done, good and faithful servant. And so Joshua instructed them to return to their land, and he put two obligations on them as they went. Two obligations. The first one was to their brothers, to, to their families, to their tribe. And the second one was to the Lord. And so Joshua and instructed them, um, when you go back to your brothers and your wives and your families, I want you to divide the spoil. Take all of the gold, all of the silver, all of the livestock that God's blessed you with, split it up amongst the people. Fair division of that which God has blessed you with. It's really... Really cool that they're called to faithfully divide the spoils of war. David actually made this a law in Israel when he became king. He said this, that he who serves at the front receives the same portion as him who's back with the bags. There's no, you know, there's no systems here of royalties and elitists and haves and have-nots in the kingdom of God and amongst the tribes of Israel. He said this, split it up equally amongst yourselves And uh, it makes me think of the parable that Jesus told about the workers who were called to work in the fields. And he called one early in the morning and he went into the fields to work. He called one middle of the day and he went into that same field to work, called one late in the afternoon. And even when the sun was setting, the the employer sent out another worker and at the end of the day, when it was time to divvy out the rewards, everyone received the same portion, the same, and those who had worked all day you know the parable, complained. The employer said, don't I have the right to hand out uh, these wages? Uh, I apportioned the same to him who worked much and him who worked little. The, The fact is the matter, they work for me. And so Joshua said, you've got an obligation to your brothers, but you also have an obligation to the Lord. Now that you've entered into rest from war in a time of peace, he says this, This is not a time to take the foot off the gas in serving God. Not a time to enter into the temptation of setting your spiritual life on cruise control. Uh, He says the the fire has to be stoked or the fire will smolder out with the Lord. Isn't that true? You stoke the flames of fire with the Lord or the fire smolders out. And so he gives them these instructions. I actually called this Obligations to the Lord, but I called this message Five Smooth Stones for what these instructions are. It's in verse five, and they're gonna be on the screen so that you can follow along. He gives them five instructions with regards to their obligations to the Lord. First one he says is this. You have to love the Lord. It's interesting, a teacher came to Jesus, a teacher of the law, and he said to him, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said the greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and with all of your strength, and the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. It's interesting that it's like, it's a command to love God. Can you imagine if you said that to anybody else with regards to, I command you to love me. It's like, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense, really, when you think about it. A command to love. It's like, okay, I can, there's lots of things, you know, you could command me to do, like, you know, whatever parents. We command our kids to clean your room, cut the lawn, whatever it's like. But to command to love. I command you to love the Lord. Isn't it interesting to just think about that and to pause on that? Why is that commanded? Of all the things that God commands, why is that more important than anything else? And it's for this reason that the heart of mankind is sinful. The heart of men and women is sinful. It is not natural for you to love the Lord. In fact, it can't happen unless the Spirit of God birth is that, births that in you, unless God is at work in you. It's not natural for a sinful person to love God. You know what they love? They love themselves. I, I get totally bugged in our culture when it's like, People talk about loving themselves. Well, I'm just learning to love myself. I'm like, your problem isn't loving yourself. The problem is you love yourself too much. You have to love the Lord. Love the Lord, your God. And we don't love God because we feel like it. It's interesting, right? To think about this as followers of Jesus, we don't, well, I feel like loving the Lord today. No, the Lord says, You're commanded. To love me, it's the greatest of all commandments. And you're to love me with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. And so Joshua says, I, As you go, love the Lord. And he says this to them. The second thing, he says, And walk in his ways. Walk in his ways, which speaks of the direction or the pattern of his life. We know what the New Testament tells us. It says, Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Don't move your life in the direction and the patterns of this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, the pattern of your life as a follower of King Jesus is to do this, is to be obedient to the will of God, obedient to the Master. He says you have to walk with the Lord. I command you to love Him, but you have to walk with Him. We know that the Word of God tells us that two people can't walk together unless they agree to do so. There's lots of mechanics behind two people walking together. He says, walk with the Lord. Psalm 32 tells us that God says this, I will instruct you and I will teach you in the way you should go. And I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Walk with me. Love that character from the Old Testament, Enoch. Enoch who the Bible just tells us he walked with God and he was no more. Walk in his ways. And Joshua says to them, the third thing, observe his commands. Observe his commands, which observing his commands doesn't simply mean, you know, take notice of them, participate in them, comply with them, to observe the commands of the Lord, as Joshua says it here in the original language, it means this. To take hold of them with much force. The, the, no, Now that you're putting down your sword, guys, and we're entering a season of rest, huh, it doesn't, doesn't mean you need to be soft-headed. Do this. Take hold of God's commands. Take hold of them. Cling to them. That's the fourth thing he says. Cling to him, actually, not to the commands. Cling to the Lord. It means this. Glue yourself to him. Isn't that interesting? Because the Lord's like committed himself to you. He's come beside you. He won't ever leave you. He won't forsake you. The Holy Spirit is he who dwells in you and is alongside of you and fills you with his presence. But the Lord's, uh, Joshua sorry says to them, Cling to the Lord. Stay close to Him. Glue your life to Him, you guys, as you go. It's so important. And then He says, serve Him with all of your heart and soul. That's the fifth thing. Serve Him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. It means labor. Work for the Lord. Serve Him like one who is willing to be in bonds to a master. Submit yourself to Him. Work for Him. Labor for Him. And I think about these things as I was thinking about them. I'm like, wow, these are cool five five instructions. And it it made me think of David. You know, going to the the creek and picking out those five smooth stones and putting them into his little pouch as he went to deal with a giant for the glory of God and the kingdom of God. And he pulled one out, and you know the story. These are five smooth stones that you can put in your pocket, (laughs) These are five smooth stones which you can access when you're facing giants or you're going into war. And these are five smooth stones that will help you with prosperous living living. and as the Lord has established you, that you you love the Lord and you walk in his ways and you observe his commands and you cling to him and you serve him with all of your heart and all of your soul. It's like I just love it because these men are warriors and it's not like, Back off. Take your foot off the gas. No, go forward with the Lord, and this is what it looks like. Now check it out, verse 10. He says this. And when they came to the region of the Jordan, that is in the land of Canaan, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh built there an altar by the Jordan, an altar of imposing size. And the people of Israel heard it and, they, and said, Behold! The people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built an altar at the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region about the Jordan on the side that belongs to the people of Israel. And when the people of Israel heard it, the whole assembly of the people of Israel gathered at Shiloh to make war against them. So man, quickly, things spiral out of control real fast here right after Joshua gives this command. Shiloh had become the headquarters for Joshua. It was in the center of the land, the tabernacle, the, the tent of meeting where they worship had been placed there. It was the geographic center of Israel. And everything seemed to be going so well. And then once back, once these two and a half tribes go back to their inheritance in the Lord... Uh, the other tribes, nine and a half, discovered that on the shore of the Jordan, I don't know, you read it, it's like, I don't know what side of the Jordan it's on. I kind of think, well, did they put it on their brother's side? Did they put it on, I don't know. It does, it's kind of weird. But they build this big altar. And it's of imposing size. It's, it's massive. Now, the, the purpose is, I'm just going to give it away if you don't know this story, but the purpose of this altar is this, is that they wanted it as a witness, as a symbol of the unity that they had with their brothers. they said, in times to come, should you forget that we battled with you and that we served the same God, we want this altar to stand as a witness between us. And these tribes didn't know that this was the reason they had built this altar. Probably would have, you know, it's interesting how human beings will do this. I'm like, you read this story, it doesn't tell us this was right or this was wrong. It doesn't actually say. It's funny, it's like, this thing is to serve, it's to ensure that there's unity amongst us. We want to ensure that we stay together as a family, so we're going to build this thing. And human beings do this all the time. Probably would have just been as simple to do what the Lord said, just go to Shiloh three times a year and celebrate the feast with the other tribes. Like, you don't need to build altars. But they build this religious monument. And it's interesting, you know, unity is not secured by outward symbols. I totally, you guys know this about me, but I'll just spout it in case. I get really bugged by unity talks, man. I'm like, don't talk to me about unity. You're irritating me. Because <laughs> I think, oh, well, we're always fighting to establish unity by outward symbols. Oh, well, we did this together. We did that. It's like, well, unity just happens when God's people come together around Jesus. He looks after that. He honors that. Unity wasn't going to be established by this altar. They just needed to keep going and worshiping the Lord with everybody else. But what happens? Well, the rest of Israel is enraged. And so they gather to make war on their brothers. Because God's word commanded that there was only to be one altar. It was to be at the house of God. And it, on it was to be offered sacrifices, to the Lord and so they saw this as a flagrant act of rebellion against the Lord and it needed to be crushed. Let's read on. Verse 13. We're going to read almost to the end of the chapter here, so it's a big chunk. It says this. Then the people of Israel sent to the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half tribe of Banasseh in the land of Gilead Phinehas the son of Eleazar the priest and with him 10 chiefs, one from each of the tribal families of Israel, every one of them the head of a family among the clans of Israel And they came to the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh in the land of Gilead. And they said to them, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, What is this breach of faith that you have committed against the God of Israel in turning away this day from following the Lord by building yourselves an altar this day in rebellion against the Lord? Have we not had enough of the sin at Peor, from which even yet we have not cleansed ourselves? and for which there came a plague upon the congregation of the Lord, that you too must turn away this day from following the Lord? And if you too rebel against the Lord today and then, then tomorrow, he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. But now if the land of your possession is unclean, pass over into the Lord's land where the Lord's tabernacle stands and take for yourselves a possession among us. Only do not rebel against the Lord or make us as rebels by building for yourselves an altar other than the altar of the Lord our God. Did not Achan, remember him? Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, break faith in the matter of the devoted things? That was at Jericho. And the wrath fell upon all the congregation of Israel and he did not perish alone for his iniquity. Then the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, said in an answer to the heads of the families of Israel, the mighty one, God the Lord, the mighty one, God the Lord, he knows and let Israel itself know. If it was in rebellion or in a breach of faith against the Lord, do not spare us today. For building an altar to turn away from following the Lord or if we did so to offer burnt offerings or grain offerings or peace offerings on it, may the Lord himself take vengeance. No, verse 24, no, but we did it from fear that in the time to come, your children might say to our children, what have you to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us and you. For the people of Reuben and the people of God, for you have, uh, sorry, verse 25 For the Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us and you you people of Reuben and people of Gad you have no portion in the Lord so your children might take make our children cease to worship the Lord therefore we said let us build an altar not for burnt offering nor for sacrifice but to be a witness between us and you between our generations after us that we do perform the service of the Lord in his presence with our burnt offerings and sacrifices And peace offerings, so your children will not say to our children in the time to come, You have no portion in the Lord. And we thought if this should be said to us or to our descendants in the time to come, we should say, Behold, the copy of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made, not for burnt offerings, nor for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn away this day from following the Lord by building an altar for burnt offering, grain offering, or sacrifice other than the altar of the Lord our God that stands before his tabernacle. So man, drama. Drama is this conflict uh, gets ready to happen and these Western tribes, the nine and a half tribes, they meet at Shiloh, they meet at the house of the Lord, they meet before Joshua, and they are ready to go to war against the two and a half tribes in the East. But before they do, wisely, they decide, let's, let's send a delegation to them. Let's figure out what's going on here. So they pick these 10 tribal leaders, and they pick Phineas, the priest, the son of Eleazar, to go. Phineas had already played a super significant role in the land of Israel. He's not a guy that we talk about a lot, actually. He was the grandson of Aaron, the first high priest. And Phineas was a man who was zealous and passionate for the glory of God. Phineas was a man who was zealous and passionate for the holiness of God's people, that they live as God's people. Numbers chapter 25 tells us an amazing story about uh, Balaam. Remember Balaam and his talking donkey? Would <laughs> Be pretty cool to have one of those. His talking donkey uh, and, and Balaam. Balaam instructed he had been hired to curse the children of Israel, and you know the Lord said, you can't curse them. So Balaam did this. Balaam gave instruction to the king of Moab and the king of the Midianites. He said this, send your women in amongst the men of Israel. Invite them to come and make sacrifices to Baal. And your women can sexually and spiritually seduce the men of Israel and you can lead the nation into rebellion against the Lord and God will pour out his wrath on them. So the kings of Moab and Midian Did that very thing. Many Israelite men, the book of Numbers tells us, were seduced, and the scripture says they yoked themselves to Baal. Jesus said, Take my yoke upon you. My burden is easy and it's light. The scripture says they yoked themselves to Baal. And so, because they rebelled against the Lord, the Lord did this. He sent a plague in amongst his people, and people were dying. Moses had gathered the leaders, they were they were trying to decide what to do, and those who had hearts true to the Lord were before the tent of meeting, and they were crying out to God in repentance. And the Scripture says that before all their eyes, while all of this was happening, they saw a young Israelite man with a Midianite woman, and he took her into his tent. And Phineas, this man that we read here, picked up his spear, he followed them into the tent, and he drove his spear. It's a crazy story, man. You know, Bible's wild book. Drove his spear through this man and this woman, and he killed them both. And the Bible says that the plague was averted because of Phineas's heart for God. In fact, the Lord, in that plague, 24,000 people died from the plague. You say, wow, it's awful that, that Phineas did this. Look it. 24,000 people. What was awful is that God's children rebelled against him and yoked themselves to Baal. And the Lord said this in response to Phineas from Numbers chapter 25. The Lord said to Moses, Phinehas the son of Eliezer, the son of the priest, has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel and that he was jealous with my jealousy among them. So I did not consume them, the people of Israel, in my jealousy. Therefore say, behold, I give to him my covenant of peace. <laughs> I like Phineas as I think about this guy. And it's amazing that Phineas was the man that they sent in to deal with this. This guy was a specialist, man. He was a specialist. And he opened up this meeting he goes, I, don't know, I wonder, did he have his spear in his hand, the same spear in his hand? <laughs> the Bible doesn't tell us that. But I think these tribes knew who they were dealing with when Phineas came to town. And Phineas opened the meeting, and he accused them of breaching and breaking faith with the Lord. You've built an altar in rebellion to God. What is going on here? And I, like I said, I don't know if he, he took his spear, but he was the man for the job. His, his passion for the glory of God and the holiness of God's people was renowned. And he asked them, are you trying to bring vengeance on us? Are you trying to bring wrath down upon us like happened with Balaam and Peor? Are you trying to bring upon us again what happened in Jericho with Achan? And they said, no, no, that's not what's going on here. The altar was not built for sacrifice. Phineas, there's been a misunderstanding here. We did not build this altar to make sacrifices we built it to be a witness, a visible reminder between us and you. We serve the same God. We don't want to walk in rebellion with the Lord. Is that this geographic barrier stands between us, the, the Jordan River, and we don't want it to lead to any estrangement between us and you, that perhaps maybe in the future you would refuse us to come to worship the Lord at Shiloh. And so we built this altar. Now I I read this and I keep keep thinking this, you know, you read this and and you study and it's like, the Bible doesn't tell us, people, you know, give all their opinions. They're like, yeah, what they did was right. What they did was wrong. Like people land all over the place and the scripture doesn't say this was wrong, what they did. You know, it just tells us what happened. It just tells us what happened. I think, was it the perfect solution? I don't, probably not. But I don't know about you, my life hasn't worked out with most of my ideals that I've planned. <laughs> most of the things that I thought, well, I'll put this in place and this will protect and this will do this and this will preserve this and my life will look like this, most of that hasn't worked out for me. You? Anybody? You know, because walking with the Lord is not about like ideals and everything just falling into place perfectly. Ooh, ooh that's like, yeah. Square peg, square hole, round, you know, you know how it doesn't work that way. Life isn't like that. Life is like messy, man. And this is what happened. God's people, just, they just put themselves in a mess. There was division amongst them. And it's like, well, where's the solution? What's right? What's wrong here? I don't know. But you know what they did? They talked about it. They talked about it. Wow. Woo, poof. Let's not go to war. Let's like actually, we're brothers. Let's talk about the problem between us. Now, let's read what happens here. Verse 30, we'll read till the end of the chapter. It says this, When Phineas the priest and the chiefs of the congregation, the heads of the families of Israel who were with him, heard the words that the people of Reuben and the people of God and the people of Manasseh spoke, it was good in their eyes. And Phineas the son of Eliezer the priest said to the people of Reuben and the people of God and the people of Manasseh, Today we know that the Lord is in our midst. Because you haven't committed this breach of faith against the Lord. Now you have delivered the people of Israel from the hand of the Lord. You saved us from coming to war against you. Verse 32. Then Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the priest and the chiefs, returned returned from the people of Reuben and the people of God in the land of Gilead to the land of Canaan, to the people of Israel, and they brought back word to them. And the report was good in the eyes of the people of Israel. And the people of Israel blessed God and spoke no more of making war against them to destroy the land where the people of Reuben and the people of Gad were settled. I don't know how many times I'd have to say that. People of Reuben, the people of Gad, people of half-dropping my house. Just be thankful you're not reading it. Verse 34. The people of Reuben and the people of Gad called the altar witness. Witness. For they said, it is a witness between us that the Lord is. Is God. <laughs> I imagine Phineas and his crew, his delegation, these leaders were totally relieved. Had enough of war. <laughs> Had enough of fighting. Been there, done that. Seven years steady. They'd entered into rest. And when Phineas brought back the report, it says here that all of Israel blessed them. They said, "No more speaking of war." <laughs> God's led us to rest. And it's true. There's a witness between us. We serve the same God, and I think this about Joshua 22. It's just kind of a, I don't know. It felt like a different chapter as I was studying it. But it's like it's just this. It's, it serves as something as like a bit of a handbook for dealing with misunderstandings. Have <laughs> ever had any misunderstandings with your brothers and sisters in the Lord? So I want to give you just a few takeaways. Okay, a few takeaways. First one's this: man, don't assume. Don't assume. It's a simple life skill, right? Like, don't assume. You know what they say about those who assume? They make a. I'm just gonna say it: an ass out of you, and an ass out of me. Don't assume. He says, you know, you know, how often do we think we know the motivations behind what people are doing? I know what you. I know what. I know why you're doing this, and we assume a motivation against our brother or sisters. How often are we wrong? Look at churches, followers of Jesus. It's always open, honest talk. Jesus spoke the truth in love. (laughs) He spoke the truth in love. Rather than quickly passing judgment, it's like, let's talk about this. And a little bit of open, honest talk, you know, those that are married, hopefully you figured this out, a little bit of open, honest talk can solve and prevent a lot of heartache, can stop a lot of war, just some conversation. I love a story. I've told this before, but I haven't told it for a long time. Maybe you've never heard it, but it's a story from my grandmother's church. My grandparents attended the same church for 70 years. And in their church, there was two women who had had a falling out, and they didn't speak to one another. Everybody in the church just knew these two ladies, this is a true story, they don't talk to one another. And nobody really knew what it was all about. Like It was just like, hey, this thing went on, and it went on for 25 years, and the church just learned to exist that these two don't speak to one another. And so finally, a a new pastor came to the church, and he heard about this, and so he said, 25 years? This is ridiculous. So he sat these two ladies down, said, what's going on here? What's happened here? Why all this... Trouble, why 25 years of strife and not speaking and this being a part of the church? And the lady, one of the ladies said, well, my sister here said that I was too old. And she said, no, I didn't. I said that you were as good as gold. That's a true story from my family's church. Not you're too old, you're as good as gold. Gold. And for 25 years they did not speak and that was going on in their church amongst all of those people. You know, so many fears of the human heart are self-imposed. Did you know that? They're self-imposed. We put fears on ourselves. Our fears are about our idolatry. This, The this, this scripture tells us we haven't been given a spirit of fear but of love and a sound mind. Just... Deal with it. I just want to encourage you. There's stuff, if there's war going on in your life, in your home, in our church, don't make assumptions. Don't make assumptions. Go deal with it. And that's the second takeaway I want to leave you with here is this, is just be be a person who earnestly desires peace. Desire peace. We aren't naturally people of peace. We aren't. We come to this world with a sinful nature that puts us at odds with God. It puts us at odds with others. Our God is a God of peace. Our God came to establish peace between himself and his creation that leads us to have peace in our relationships with one another. And through the redeeming work of Jesus, Jesus came, went to the cross, gave his life for the sin of mankind, died on that cross, was buried rose from the dead, ascended into heaven and he did so for the glory of his father and to bring you into a relationship of peace with his father. If you'll turn to him and come to him and repent of sin and confess him as Lord, he will save you and there will be peace between you and God. There'll be You will have the peace of God, you will have peace with God. And the gospel is meant to lead forth then in that we be peacemakers. That we have peace in our relationship with others. And so God's people are to be a people of peace. And when, when we fail in that area, lots of times the gospel is failing in our lives. We've allowed it to happen. Paul said this to the Corinthians, a church that had much chaos in it. I'm thankful we don't have that kind of church. But he said this, Finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. And we have a priest who's come to mediate for us. Phineas came. What's going on here? Jesus has come. (laughs) And Jesus has made the way for peace. He's he's negotiated everything. All we have to do is enter into the peace that Christ has made. And so don't assume, earnestly desire peace. And then then just the last thing is this. Put those five smooth stones in your pocket, church, all the time. Love the Lord, walk in His ways, observe His commands, cling to Him, serve Him with all of your heart and all of your soul, man. Just Let's just grow in loving the Lord and gluing ourselves to Him and serving Him.